0: Dear Father, thank you for that assurance on eagles' wings you will bear us up. Oh, soaring. You haven't called us to survive. You've called us to thrive. And as we begin this new new series today, show show us the thriving that is your will for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I tell you why I'm excited about this brand new series that we begin right now, and it's not just because of the—it's uh, not just because of the of, of the of the theme. It's on relationships. I mean, what could be greater to spend a few, few Sabbaths contemplating than maximizing our interpersonal relationships—marriage, family, home, school, work, whatever—maximizing those. But the re- the other reason I'm I'm. Uh, grateful and excited about this series is because we're going to be doing it as a team. We're going to be team preaching together. You've got a great uh, uh, cadre here of very gifted preachers, and it's my honor to partner with them. So this this series is going to be team preached right through the summer until the uh, new school year is here. And I remind you, because we're dealing with relationships, you need to know this, that two of our preachers are women, and that's good to know. We're talking about Pastor Esther and Pastor Sharon, because everybody knows that women bring a certain savvy and insight to relationships that men simply do not. This was brought home to me by my friend, Chaplain Tim Nixon, here at the university, who uh, sent me a piece this last week uh, entitled, Why Men Shouldn't Write Advice Columns. Uh, you know, just the headline says it all. Yeah, why is it they shouldn't? Because, what, advice columns, Dear Anne, that was long ago, Dear Abby, you got Dear Miss Manners, whatever, but you never see an advice column, Dear Bubba, I, wanna I want to know. Because when it's touchy-feely, social etiquette, relational uh, focus, it, you just don't do men. But this little piece that, uh, that Tim sent me, uh, Why Men Shouldn't Write Advice Columns, so they, they, they tried it out. They tried it out on a man. So they gave him a sample letter. Dear John, I hope you can help me. Our family is in meltdown. Our teenage son ran away. He has, we haven't heard from him in six months. Our teenage daughter got pregnant. And the other day, when I set off for work, leaving my husband in the house watching TV, my car stalled and then broke down about a mile down the road. I had to walk back to get my husband's help. When I got home, there was a, net, a note on the kitchen counter that he was leaving me. I'm afraid I'm a wreck and I need advice urgently. Can you please help sign, sincerely, Sheila? Dear Sheila, a car stalling after being driven a short distance can be caused by a variety of faults with the engine. (laughs) Start by checking that there's no debris. I rest my case. So anyway, we're going to have these two women join us. You'll You'll get good counsel from the men and the women on our team as we deal with relationships. We're calling this series, i put the title slide up for you, we're calling this series Genesis of Love, and that's because we're going to be focusing on the, uh, the book of Genesis for these relationships. We just finished the book of John all school year long. Now we're going to go to, to narratives, 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 some of the greatest epics in all of Scripture. We're talking about Abraham, we're going to plunge in with Abraham, Sarah, Hagar, Ishmael, Isaac, Rebecca. Let's see, what do they have? They have Esau, Jacob, then you have Leah, Rachel, uh, 12 uh, sons and just just if you're tempted to think that Genesis is going to be the the recital of stories that are families that are batting a thousand, think again. We are talking about the most gritty of human relationships, but we're going to go to these looking for a theme, something that can something that can draw us into the hope that God offers every relationship on this planet. And because we have Health and Fitness Symposium 2012 here today. We're going to start in Genesis 1. You can't talk about health without thinking about Genesis 1. We're going to look at uh, physical, relational health. Open your Bible to Genesis 1. And I tell you what, I'm very excited about a fresh reading that we're going to have for these Genesis stories because I have in my hands, brand new, I just had, I've, I've just had it a week. This is the new Common English Bible. This came out at the end of 2011. It's a brand new English translation, Common English Bible, CEB. You can get it at uh, your, your favorite bookstore. Um, Amazed I was to read the preface and find Seventh-day Adventist listed in the preface. This is the first Bible that ever has listed Seventh-day Adventists in a translation and come to find out our own Roy Gain, Old Testament professor here at the Theological Seminary, did some of the translating. So get a hold of your own CEB. I'll be in this for my portions of this, of this new series. Let's go to Genesis 1. You didn't bring a Bible. You've got to track today's narrative. Pull it out in front of you. It's our Pew Bible, New King James Version. Easy page to find. Page 1. Let's plunge in together. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. When God began to create the heavens and the earth. All right, that's verse 1. In the beginning, the, the other translations have read. This one, when God began to create the heavens and the earth, verse 2, the earth was without shape or form. It was dark over the deep sea. And God's wind, the Hebrew word there is ruach. It can be translated spirit, breath, or wind. And God's wind swept over the waters, verse 3, and God said, let there be light. And so light appeared in verse 4. God saw how good the light was and he separated the light from the darkness. Finally, verse 5, God named the light day and the darkness night. There was evening, there was morning, the first day. The the majestic seven days of creation known in the annals of human literature. This is one one of the high pieces of literature in the human race. But notice how quickly it plunges into the relational. Drop down to verse 26. Then God said, you see that in verse 26? Then God said, let us make humanity. Ha'adam. It can be translated man. It means generic, you know, the human race. Let us make humanity in our image. Hit the pause button right there. Let us. There it is, ladies and gentlemen. Relational. Immediately now, we're into the relational. Plurality. A few uh, weeks ago, you remember, in our John series, we we took a morning to brood over this concept of the triunity of God, the plurality of God, the trinity. I want to pull a quotation out of that teaching and stick it right here. And it's in your study guide. And so here's what I need to do before I read that quotation. Those those of you ushers who have extra study guides, if you would write now, I kind of skipped by it when we put that... uh, title slide up a moment ago, my apology, in fact we can put the title slide up again, let's put the title slide up, the title of today's teaching is The Secret of the Blueprint, we're putting that up because people watching on television or live streaming right now, uh, need that website www.pmchurch.tv, that's where the series will be archived, you can get all the study guides, but you're here live and in person and I'm grateful you are, so just hold your hand up, the uh, ushers will be coming your way in the balcony as well and make sure that you get a study guide. There's some dynamite quotations here, and I think you're going to want the study guide just for the quotations. All right? So this is Otto Christensen. We used this quotation just a few weeks ago. Let's put it on the screen, the uh, Christensen quotation. There is a sense in which the fact that God is love requires that he be more than one person. Watch this. Love must have both a subject and an object. Would you fill that in, please? Love has to have both. You can't have love, and there's no, nothing around you can't just be loved by yourself. That's not love. You have to have a subject and you have to have an object. You need the two together. So, here, here's Christensen's uh, reasoning here. Thus, prior to the creation of other persons, humans, and I'd add angels, God could not have really been love if there were not plurality. He could, just by himself, how could he be love? He couldn't have been loved. God could not have really loved and thus would not have been truly loved. Keep reading. If, however, there have always been multiple persons within the Trinity itself among whom love could be mutually exercised, expressed, and experienced, then God could always have been actively loving. That makes sense. Because God is three persons rather than two, there is a dimension of openness and extension not necessarily found in a love relationship between two persons, which can sometimes, we all know, be quite closed in nature. End quote. quote. Jot it down, will you? Right here at the outset, the let us of Genesis one is profound evidence that God is indeed very much a God of relationships. Let us. He's immediately, when he's, when he's talking now, he's talking relational language. Let us. In fact, you think about it. Relationship is the quintessence of love, which is the quintessence of the being of God. So God obviously is huge. God is huge on relationships. He has to be. He models them. He created them. He grows them. He protects them. He saves them. He salvages them. And he protects them forever and ever. Amen. Let us. Huge on relationships. Because I repeat, I need you to get this. Quintessence, the quintessence of who he is, is relationship. That's what love is. You can't have love without relationship. And God is love. All right. So let's read the verse again. Verse 26, Then God said, This is the sixth day of creation. Then God said, Let us make humanity in our image to resemble us. So that they may take charge of the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, all the earth, and all the crawling things on earth. And so, verse 27, God created humanity. Ha-adam, there it is, the human race. God created humanity in God's own image. In the divine image, he created them. Male and female, he created them. You can't have the image of God with just the male. You can't have the image of God with just the female. They must be combined together. It's the composite that portrays God's image. Now notice verse 28. God blessed them and he said to them, Be fertile and multiply. Fill the earth and master it. Take charge of the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and everything crawling on the ground. And then drop down to verse 31. And I love the common English Bible here. God saw everything that he had made and it was supremely. I like that. Yours says very good. It was supremely. It was supremely good. There was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. And you know what? God could have hit the pause button right there and said, all right, guys, we got six days, perfect planet, supremely good. Let's start over. Day one, you're on bad again. Nope. Instead of cycling, as he could have, he intentionally pauses. We, got, we have six days, but I'm adding a seventh. What's up with the seventh day? Read on. Verse 1 of chapter 2, The heavens and the earth and all who live in them are completed. Verse 2, and on the sixth day God completed all the work that he had done, and on the seventh day God rested from all the work that he had done. Verse 3, God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all the work of creation. You think about it, the Sabbath is the most natural, the most logical gift of a God who is huge on relationships. You could have said, let's start it over, six is enough. There's nothing in nature, there's nothing in nature to give a seven. In fact, there's nothing in human literature that tells us how we got seven. This is the only piece of literature that says the human race has been celebrating a seven-day week for this basis, on this basis. Why, why does he throw the seventh in? This is God is saying, hey, guys, guys, look, we're all busy, but when you come to number seven, drop whatever you're doing because it's just you and me. 24 hours of just us together. Jot it down, will you? The Sabbath is the quintessential gift of God's friendship to his earth children, you and me together for the whole day. Wow! You know, I grew up a PK. You know what that is, preacher's kid. I grew up an MK. You know what that is. That's a missionary's kid. So I have this dad who's a missionary preacher and pastor, and he's planting a church in the dark, I mean, in an unreached city on the west coast of Japan. But I will will go to my grave grateful to my father, who now sleeps in Jesus. Grateful to him for doing this. He said, hey, guys, what we're going to do is we're taking Tuesdays off. He couldn't, couldn't, you know, the rest on the Sabbath or a Sunday. He said, we're going to take Tuesdays off. And do you know what Dad did, Dad and Mom? They put a wall around Tuesdays. Nobody could interfere. No work. No chores. This is a day when we play. This is the day when we read. This is a day when we go up to the Japan Alps and we ski. This is the day when it's just us together. One day, so relationship can grow. You know what, for the life of me, I can't figure out why there's some people on this planet, apparently, who are working very hard to show, hey, we don't got a Sabbath anymore. It's all gone, it's old-fashioned, we don't need it. Are you kidding? You're spending all that effort to do something you cannot do, which is to prove from the Bible that there is no seventh-day Sabbath when the Bible is utterly clear and you want to throw this one gift day out of a forever friendship with God, you just want to jettison it? Give me a break. It's the one day that focuses on God, who is, our, who is our friend. It is the relational day of the seven. Hold on. And by the way, let me say to us fellow Sabbatarians, I want to say, maybe the difference is, if we focus more, in fact, jot this down, if we focus more on getting to rather than having to, the Sabbath would be a whole lot more fun on campuses and churches around the world. Oh, we have to. Come on. Get to. We get to have this day. A paradigm shift, slight shift, but suddenly the Sabbath is a delight. Hey, but listen, you can't have every day a day of rest, even in the perfect Garden of Eden. So let's keep going. Drop down to verse 15 Genesis 2, verse 15. Uh, verse 15, so the Lord God took the human, Ha'adam, and settled him in the Garden of Eden to farm it. I love the common English here. To farm it and to take care of it. Isn't that something? Even in a perfect world, physical exercise is utterly essential. Because exercise maximizes relationship. So let me, let me share. Did you, did you read this this week? It came out, the Copenhagen Heart Study. In fact, it's in my Fourth Watch blog in the Bolton. Don't look it up now. But just this week, Danish researchers, who have been tracking, by the way, 20,000 people from the age of 20 to 93, they've been tracking them since 1976. Just this week, I'm pretty jazzed about this discovery, they found out, hold on, that men and women who jog... Now, listen to this. Men and women who jog, what's the definition of jogging? You're feeling a little breathless, but not very breathless. All right? So men and women who jog between one hour and two and a half hours a week live an average, would you jot this down, please, live an average of six years longer than non-joggers. Give yourself a high five if you're jogging. I have a friend who says, listen, he has sworn off jogging. He says, listen, Dwight, if you, if, if you want pain in the morning, just get up, put your fingers in your eyes. You got pain. Forget jogging. 30 minutes a day, four or five days a week, slow jog, and the research now indicates up to a six-year. It's 5.8 for women, 6.2 for men. Up to a six-year advantage. Please. Talking about relational health and fitness, this is it. You want to stay married longer, you get an extra six years. No, I'm serious. Of course, if your spouse is not, if your spouse is not exercising, your spouse is telling you, you go ahead, live six years longer, remarry, I'll just go ahead and go early. Verse 15, read it again. I need to get away from that last comment as fast as I can. Verse 15, (laughs) because Karen's here. All right, verse 15. The Lord God took the human and settled him in the Garden of Eden to farm it and take care of it. Now, here comes verse 16. And the Lord God commanded the human, eat your fill from all the garden trees. If you have the exercise in verse 15, then you can eat your fill. If you don't have the exercise in verse 15, you can't eat your fill. That's the only way we can survive. They just came out with another study this week. I'm telling you the truth. Duke University this week, CDC, Center for Disease Control, came out and announced, it, uh, <clears throat> it was with headlines across the nation, that they, they now believe that by the year 2030, 2030, 42% of us Americans will be obese. 42%. That's something. Eat your fill. The only way you can eat your fill in verse 16 is if you do the exercise in verse 15. That's the health and fitness moment in this, uh, in this teaching. But here comes now the secret of the blueprint. I want to move from the physical blueprint. I want to move now to the relational because that's really what we're about in this series. Take a look at this, verse 18. and I, Again, the common English Bible. Then the Lord God said, It's not good that the human is alone. Hit the pause button right there. It's not good. Hey, wait a minute, seven times in chapter 1, good, 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 and the seventh is supremely good. So Moses is doing an intentional juxtaposition here. Seven times it's good, and then he inserts not good, obviously telling us there's something about relationships that is utterly essential to human survival. It's not good that the human is alone. Then what would you expect from a God who is huge on relationships? It's not good, the Lord God said. It's not good that the human is alone. And guess what? We now have empirical research that is, in fact, showing a corroboration of God's initial statement. I found this. Uh, this is the November 2010 issue of the Journal of Health and Social Behavior. You have it in your study guide to keep it. Let's see. This was uh, authored by Deb Rumberson and Jennifer Montez from the University of Texas, Austin. Let me read this to you. You can follow along in your study guide. Captors, and we know this, they're doing this with terrorists now, we have learned. Captors use social isolation to torture prisoners of war to drastic effect. Social isolation of otherwise healthy, well-functioning individuals eventually results in psychological and physical disintegration and even death. Isn't that true? Yeah, that's what they found. Keep reading. Over the past few decades, social scientists have gone beyond evidence of extreme social deprivation to demonstrate a clear link between social relationships and health in the general population. They said, forget about the terrorists. Let's just talk about social isolation among us us common and average Americans. Adults who are more socially connected see that sentence? Adults who are more socially connected are healthier and live longer than their more isolated peers. So here's the question. Are you socially connected? Am I? Or are you isolated? Do you live a life of isolation? Kind of mean myself and I. Are you a lone ranger? What are they finding? God and social science are now agreeing. It's not good for the human to be alone. We've been designed for each other. We've been made for relationship. It's not good. You're going to get sicker faster. You're going to die sooner. That's what the next quotation is. Put it on the screen, please. For example, one study, you can go to the actual website which you have there and to get the name of that study. For example, one study showed that the risk of death among men and women with the fewest social ties was more than twice as high. Can you believe that? The, the risk of death goes up twice. Two times. For adults with the fewest social ties compared to the adults with the most social ties. Keep reading. Moreover, this finding, this is interesting, even held when socioeconomic status, health behaviors, and other variables that might influence mortality were taken into account, it still holds. So no matter what the other variables are, if you have a lot of relationships and I don't have a lot of relationships, my risk of death is higher than your risk of death, period. Up to two times higher. It's not good. It's not good for the human to be alone. The great social scientist, the creator himself, makes the point in the beginning. We have been made not just to survive, but to thrive on the basis of relationship. One more quotation from the same journal, put it on the screen. Social ties also reduce mortality risk among adults with documented medical conditions. Okay, so here's the deal. If I have heart disease, God forbid, you have heart disease, God forbid. We both have heart disease, okay? Let's just, we're agreed on that. If you're Mr. Friendly and Social and I'm Mr. Lone Ranger, I hang around with myself alone. We both have heart disease. You're going to survive your heart disease at a much greater rate just because you have friends. I'll die earlier than you. I'm not making that up. Keep reading. For instance, another study found that among adults with coronary artery disease, that would be heart disease, the socially isolated, me, socially isolated, had a risk of subsequent cardiac death 2.4 times. We're not talking about dying of cancer. We're not talking about... We're talking about cardiac. 2.4 times higher chance to die because you don't have friends. Wow. It is not good that the human is alone, our Creator declares. Turns out he was absolutely right. How did he know? There hadn't been any research yet, and he knew. It's not good for the human to be alone. So... Verse eighteen, we read it. The Lord God said, "It is not good that the human is alone. I will make him a helper that is perfect for him." The problem with that uh, that that statement of God's is it's in the negative. And in my preaching classes, I uh, I teach you know you don't want your big idea to be in the negative ever. It always needs to be in the positive. So it's not good, the human... No, no, you got to get that knot out of there. So you say, well, it's good that the human is not alone. No, that's still got the knot in it. How about something like this? Life, at its best. You say, why are you, putting, why are you putting at its best? Oh, because at its best means when it's, op, when it's optimally running. Life at its best is with another. Life at its best... Look, you can, still, you can still live without another. You'll just die sooner. So it's not, like you're gonna, it's not like you're just out of here. But no, life at its best is with another. In fact, let's put it up so you can tweet it. Life at its best is with another. And don't spend the few moments we have left trying to reduce another. You can't get anything shorter than another there, so just leave it. Life at its best. Is with another. And to prove that, the story now takes this glorious turn. Okay, we're going to end with this story. Here we go. Verse 18. Then the Lord God said, we'll read 18 again. It's not good that the human is alone. I will make him a helper that is perfect for him. So the Lord God formed from the fertile land all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky and brought them to the human to see what he would name them. And the human, Adam, gave each living being its name. And I have to tell you right here, this is such a beautiful picture of Christ. Remember, the pre-incarnate Christ is the creator. The New Testament is clear. This is, this is, this is Christ. It's such a beautiful picture about how he treats us. You know, he'd come along and say, hey, you know what, I'll tell you something. You're not going to be happy. Just trust me. Take what I have for you. You're going to have to have a partner. He never, he never steps into our lives and begins to throw his weight around and insist that we have to understand what he does. Instead, self-discovery. When I look at my life and when I really screwed up, I've realized he's saying, I'm I'm allowing you self-discovery, buddy. You just found out, didn't you? I could have told you. In fact, I did tell you, but you weren't listening. I'm going to let you self-discover. What he does with Adam is he lets him self discover. Hey, Adam, would you mind, please, name all these animals? Just come up with a name for them. And that's what Adam does. Verse 20, and so the human named all the livestock and all the birds in the sky and all the wild animals, but a helper perfect for him was nowhere to be found. Beautiful creatures, but I wouldn't want to live with her. I wouldn't want to live with him. Ah, now self-discovery. The moment of discovery dawns. And so what does God do? Verse 21. So the Lord God put the human into a deep and heavy sleep. And he took one of his ribs and he closed up the flesh over it. And verse verse 22. With a rib taken from the human, the Lord fashioned a woman and brought her to the human being. And the human said, and you know his eyes were as wide as a quarter. And the human said, this one... This one, finally, I like the common English Bible. This one, finally, here's the one. This one, finally, is bone from my bones and flesh from my flesh. She will be called a woman, Isha, because from a man-ish she was taken. Verse 24, this is the reason that a man leaves his father and mother and embraces his wife and they become one flesh. Verse 25, the two of them were naked, the man and his wife, but they weren't embarrassed. Why should you be embarrassed? You've been meant for each other. When the human race began, you think about it. The first human-to-human relationship, God's, the first human relationship was to the Creator, but the first human-to-human relationship that God created was that of a man, Ish, and a woman, Isha, a husband and a wife, who, by the way, did you catch that? They became one flesh. This is the identical Hebrew word from the great Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is what? Is one, the same word. What's God trying to tell us? Multiple persons, as in the Trinity, one flesh. The gift of divine oneness to the human race. An intimate divine unity that can only be experienced in the marriage of a man and a woman, a husband and a wife. Which is why I was disappointed when the President of the United States this week announced that he now believes that the institution of marriage can also be defined as a sexual union between a man and a man or a sexual union between a woman and a woman. Not that we needed the president to exegete Holy Scripture for us, for clearly he cannot. But I am saddened that the biblical creation paradigm and definition of human marriage is being rewritten by political and social forces now clearly beyond their own control. To rewrite what societies the world over have long understood as the ideal and necessary norm for all marriage, the union of a man and a woman, and to do so ostensibly for the reason of defending human rights and protecting human relationships seems both misguided and wrong-headed. How can we speak of protecting human relationship when we disassemble the one human relationship that ensures the propagation of the human race? If we vote that one out, the human race goes extinct in one generation. In one generation, it's over. In the name of our Creator, and for the preservation of family and society, the time is rapidly coming when Seventh-day Adventist Christians will have to speak up publicly against the destruction of the divine gift of marriage. Life at its best is with another. But in the context of marriage, God is very clear who that other is to be. Verse 24 again. This is the reason that a man leaves his father and mother and embraces his wife, and they become one flesh. Do you know what? When the Gospels describe Jesus quoting from the creation story, this is the verse he quotes. Makes you wonder if maybe as creator it was the verse of his homily at the wedding of Adam and Eve late Friday afternoon. Listen to this little behind-the-scenes glimpse that Friday afternoon in the garden. Put the words on the screen for you. You'll need to fill them in as the Creator joined the hands of the holy pair in wedlock. Look, at the happiest task I have as a pastor is to stand right here with a young couple in front of me. Now, they're not always so young, but to stand right here. And when we get to that moment, I do the same thing. I take the hand of the husband, I take the hand of the wife to be, and I put, that, put those two hands together, then I put my hands right on top of it. And we have a threesome, we hold there, right there. As the Creator joined the hands of the holy pair in wedlock, saying, Oh, this was His homily. Saying, A man shall leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall become one. He enunciated the law of marriage. Would you jot this down, please? He enunciated the law of marriage for all the children of Adam to the close of time. This is it for everybody until life on this planet is over. This is the one law. You can't vote another law. You can't amend this law. This is the only law. Wow. Keep reading. That which the Eternal Father himself had pronounced good was the law of highest blessing and development for man and woman. Jesus, the Creator, came to our world to rectify mistakes and to restore the moral image of God in man and woman. Wrong sentiments in regard to marriage had found a place... In the minds of the teachers of Israel, sounds like today, wrong sentiments had found a place and even the teachers are now confused. They were making of none effect the sacred institution of marriage. Good night. Is this talking about today? Making of none effect? Keep reading. Christ came to correct these evils. And his first miracle was wrought on the occasion of the marriage. Thus he announced to the world that marriage, when kept pure and undefiled, is a sacred institution, end quote. Wow. Life at its best is with another. Or let me repeat it another way. Life at its best is with another. I so, say, Dwight, it's, just, it's exactly what you just said. Yeah, but no, notice the change. We now have a capital A, another. Life at its best is with a capital A, another. Because the relational secret for marriage or any other relationship that matters to you is for the creator to join the hands. Look it. You want to talk about a mother-daughter relationship? Creator says, give me your hand, girl. Girls. And he puts his hand. He says, "Isn't is I'll bless that. You want to talk about a brother and sister relationship in a family? He said, put your hands together. I'll bless that. You want to talk about husband and wife? Put your hands together. I'll bless that. You want to talk about work colleagues? Put your hands together. I'll bless that. You want to talk about two dear lifelong friends? Put your hands together. I'll bless that. Whatever the Creator puts His hand upon and blesses, that relationship can endure all hell and still survive. Let the Creator put His hand on every relationship that is dear to your heart. Let Him put His hand on you. I'll bless it. Why? Because it's not good for them to live alone. I'm big on relationships. That's why. Give me your hands, quick! I oh, bless that. Wow. When the Creator joins your hands, you have His blessing. And if you're in a relationship where the Creator has not joined your hands, you do not have His blessing. That's the truth. Only the relationships he can bless get blessed. Only the relationships he can bless get blessed. Give him your two hands if you know that he can bless this. Life at its best is with another capital A, another. Even, by the way, when the relationship that he once joined together falls apart because the creator whose two hands are holding the the hands of this first human couple would one day yield up those same two hands to an old rugged cross, and there we would see the truth about self-sacrificing death. He would die himself to save every broken relationship on this planet. He would die in our place to save our marriages, to save our homes, to save our offices, to save our schools. He would die so that he might hold our hands and bless that and hold us together no matter hell's onslaught. That's, why, that's what he did for Adam and Eve in chapter 3, by the way. He took their hands and said, I'll die for you. That's what he does with us in the third millennium. They're now nail scarred hands. He takes your hands and he says, I've died for you. I have died to save this relationship. Don't bail out on it now. Don't quit. I don't care what's happened. Let me save it. Can it really work? I end with a story you will never forget. This is a real life, Dear Abby story. This one's true. Let me read it to you. Dear Abby, I was 20 and he was 26. We had been married two years and I hadn't dreamed he could be unfaithful. The awful truth was brought home to me when a young widow from a neighboring farm came to tell me she was carrying my husband's child. My world collapsed. I wanted to die. I fought an urge to kill her and him. I knew that wasn't the answer. I prayed for strength and guidance and it came. I knew I had to forgive this man, and I did. I forgave her, too. I calmly told my husband what I had learned, and the three of us worked out a solution together. What a frightened little creature she was. The baby was born in my home. Everyone thought I had given birth and that my neighbor was helping me. Actually, it was the other way around. But the widow was spared humiliation. She had three other children. And the little boy was raised as my own. He never knew the truth. Was this divine compensation for my own inability to bear a child? I do not know. I have never mentioned this incident to my husband. It has been a closed chapter in our lives for 50 years. But I have read the love and gratitude in his eyes a thousand times. Life at its best is with another. Because when the another is your creator and savior, there is no other another that cannot be forgiven. No another relationship that cannot be healed. Put your hands in the nail-scarred hands of Calvary. And the secret of the blueprint will be yours. Because life, at its best is always and always with another. I want you to reach into your worship bulletin this morning and take out this little Connect card. You can't come to a teaching like this and just say, okay, let's sing a hymn and go home. No, you can't. We have to respond to this. I want to give you an opportunity to respond with me. I want want to give myself the opportunity as well. Pastor Jose talked about this a moment ago. The front, make sure we have your email address and you'll see why. Your name and your email address. Turn it around so that you're on the back side now. And it says, my next step today is. Here's the first one. There's just two suggestions here. Uh, The first one, I would like to commit all my relationships into the nail-scarred hands of my Creator. Maybe yours is the relationship that is really against the ropes if it's your relationship that's struggling, I need to tell you, this is the perfect time. This is the perfect time for you to commit that relationship to the nail-scarred hands of your Savior. Yeah. I'd like to commit all my relationships into the nail-scarred hands of my Creator. Why not? You've got to take this step. We've got to take just this step. Now, here's another one. Here's, here, here's step number two. I will look for someone this week. Now, here's something practical you can do right now. I will look for someone this week who is alone, who needs the benefits of a meaningful relationship and seek to be a friend to that person. Come on, you know somebody. You know somebody who's a lone ranger, who just is existing. Why don't you look her up? Why don't you call him up? Why don't you make contact in the office? Take, share lunch together. your Brown bag it together. But go to that person. You become the one to, to make the initiation. Hey, listen, come on, guys, let's just share. I'm having a sandwich. You're having a sandwich? Let's just sit here. He's always alone. You make the difference. Then you're acting on what you've heard, and what you've heard then goes deep into your mind and consciousness. Act on it. Take the next step. Some of you are listening and thinking, you know what, I, I just need to begin a relationship with Jesus. That's what I need. See this little box right here? All you have to do is just put a check mark right there. If you put a check mark, I want to begin a relationship with Jesus Christ, give us your email. We'll send you within 48 hours a practical way that you can connect with Jesus right now and begin to grow his friendship. Use check, I want to belong, I, I, I want to begin a relationship with Jesus, and like that, we'll get you. Nobody's going to be knocking at your door. We'll get you the information. Information on baptism? Yep. You've never followed Jesus in baptism? Hey, this is perfect. That's what baptism is about. It's hugely relational. It's going public with a private friendship. You go public with it. And we'd love to help you. If you put... I I want information on baptism. One of the pastors will be in touch with you and say, hey, listen, let's start planning. Nobody's rushing. Got all the time you need. Want to help out around here? There are 12 ministries in that... I'd like to get involved a Pioneer. Look, take a next step. Don't go home and just say, great sermon, good teaching, what's next? Act on what you heard. That's how it goes deep. In just a moment, the ushers are going to come your way. They're going to receive all our Connect cards. But I want to pray with you first. I'd like you to stay right here. Right here. There's a short chorus I want to sing after we've received these cards, they we'll have benediction the service will be concluded. All right? Let's pray together. Dear God, Almighty Creator, loving, loving Creator, Savior, relationships are huge to you. Our relationship is big, big to you. We want to be like you. We want relationships to matter in our lives. We want the nail-scarred hands to be on the hands of every relationship we have and to bless it, to bless us real good. Father, for, the, for those who are struggling in a relationship right now, watching on television, listening, a website, here in person, dear God, give him courage, give her grace to know this relationship doesn't have to face the curtains. You can salvage it and recreate it and do something majestic. Take our humble decisions, we put them before you, seal them. Receive our tithes and offerings, it's just the little that we have, but we gladly return to you in Jesus' name. Amen.